I'm really excited to share today's episode of Never Fully Heard. Um, I sit down with James um, Ski, the founder of Sales Confidence, a community that wants to elevate salespeople at all levels of their career. I've got a lot of value from it myself, and um, yeah, it's an amazing place. So the conversation takes lots of twists and turns. We hear about um, James's upbringing, his childhood, his first experiences with mental health, going on to his diagnosis and experiences with bipolar, and then we finish with some amazing advice, which left me wanting to like run through a wall um, about how to build a community and entrepreneurship and the passion with which he speaks about that is just intoxicating. And um, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy. Hi, James. Welcome to Never Fully Heard. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So where I want to start the podcast is um, at the beginning of your journey with mental health. So when did you first understand what mental health was? Yeah, good starting point. So if I think about um, my background, um, I was really fortunate to, to go, grow up in Windsor. Um, I went to the Windsor Boys School, um, which is a fantastic school. And um, from there, I went to Oxford Brookes University. Um, and if I'm honest, prior to um, going to uni, when I had my own experiences, I wasn't so conscious about mental health or mental well-being or having an understanding of the impact of um, your mind so unfortunately when I was at school I lost a, a friend I used to row with to suicide and that that still to this day was the, and is the kind of most shocking news that I've ever heard um, like it is you know, death obviously happens all the time, unfortunately, it's part of life. Um, but when you are close to someone that decides literally to end it themselves, by themselves, like the like unimaginable suffering that they must be going through to experience that is, um, uh, is, is hard to fathom. So that, that was kind of a shock factor when it became on, uh, on my radar, but it didn't really affect me, I don't think, personally, until I got to university. Uh, and then I started to experience a cycle of um, depression and also I'm bipolar, so um, I'm on the kind of mood spectrum where I have high highs and low lows. And they started to materialize at university. Um, and then for me, where the climax of that was when I was 20 and coming out of my or going into my final year at uni, I ended up in a mental health hospital. So that's when it became really real. Um, but when I reflect on that time, I'm sure we go into it. Um, it you know, it was the loss of a friend that it became awareness and then my own experiences as I got into uni. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because it's um, especially... Uh, having you know had the privilege of having met you you are um just such a magnetic energy in the the room and for people i can imagine sometimes um seeing people like yourself who have such an outward confidence knowing that um you're like, vulnerable enough to speak about what is extremely tragic circumstances um is, is is really powerful but um if i can go back to um the news about your friend how did you because it's something that it's just so unimaginable to what they're going through and what you had to go through hearing the news. But how did you deal with that news when you first, uh, what was your initial reactions? I mean, it was shock. That was the, the first um, reaction. I mean, it was just 
the news. I mean, I can even feel it now just thinking about it. like it was just such shocking news that that's all I can describe. I, I was in shock. Um, you know, you feel de de desperately helpless because you obviously um, weren't able to, to help that person. You feel like you weren't there for that person. Um, and then, you know, with that is, is followed by obviously um, kind of deep sadness um, and you go through a, a grieving process. And if I'm honest, if I, you know, there was a lot of, um, I think there was avoidance of actually, uh, you know, thinking about the situation. You know, I remember um, I, I, I was asked kind of if I wanted to, to see him before he was, um, uh, you know, put in the casket. And I, I, I didn't want to see him like that. So I chose not to. So, you know, that, I guess, is an example of avoiding the fact that, um, someone has tragically died, um, but particularly to to suicide. And um, I'm not sure, I, I just know that other than I lived with my mum at the time, um, you know, her trying to be understanding, I, I think uh, for a lot of us, because it affected um, obviously our social group, we kind of just got on with it. Like there was no offering of at this time this was back in 2004 2005 like there was no um you know access to therapy or nowhere no speaking circles like it wasn't talked about in the school so i guess you know there was some avoidance of um the, the historical moment the fact and then you're left to kind of process it yourself really and did you feel like you wanted to to speak about it or was it just a case of it was too painful to if you if there were services about do you think that would have do you think you would have been openly trying to to open up or i mean if i think to my experience now i, I always um have been very open-minded about offers of help um and you know i if you find the right therapist or psychologist for example i've been working with the same psychologist for five years now it's you know life-changing so um yeah i would have i would have taken up the opportunity um and you know shared um what i was going through through my experience with someone professional that could offer help and um for the people that haven't been through therapy and don't and maybe haven't experienced some of the the lows that you have what did yeah. therapy do for you? One of the most valuable parts of a therapist, and this comes above all for me, is that there is no judgment, you know, no reaction. There's no offer of advice. The challenge when you speak to friends and family or even colleagues is they, they, they're trying to help you with some kind of advice and they're reacting to what you're saying um, and trying to support you that way. That's not what a therapist does. A therapist listens um, and then helps extract more of your thoughts and feelings about how you're processing the experiences that you're going through um, or, or the challenges that you've been through. So for me, honestly, if you haven't tried it, it is one of the best experiences because it's totally non-judgmental. You can say whatever you want. It's not going to go anywhere. And literally, you know, your deepest, darkest or scariest thoughts or worries or troubles just get put out into the open and like it just lifts a weight and it's a you know an anxiety reliever a stress reliever um so you know finding someone that you trust because i do know that 
people have had poor experiences um, of therapy, but that should not rule you out from keep trying to find the right person. Um, because honestly, when you find that person, it is life changing. Yeah, so glad to hear you say that because that is the it, such a sense of um, relief. I remember going through therapy and just thinking, like, can I can I say the first few times I was like, can I say this out loud? Like, is is actually okay? And then once they managed to get it out of me, it was like such a relief. And I was almost saying these really horrible things, but with a smile on my face because it was the first time I'd ever felt comfortable sharing them publicly and uh, not publicly, but in the safety of the therapy room. Um, and yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, and m- moving on to w- what you brought up next, uh, um, if you don't mind sharing about bipolar, wh- when were you first, um, I don't know if the right word is diagnosed, but when did you first? Yeah, di- diagnosed. Yeah. So um, when I was going into my third year at uni, um, <laughs> I mean, I like to tell this story, people I'm okay if people find amusement in it because I do have, uh, I do find it funny when I reflect on it, even though it, it led to um, kind of a very difficult beginning of a, a long, hard journey. But so I was at uni, I was, I used to throw parties and um, I had organized this night on, in a new nightclub in Oxford at the time. And this was like when Facebook was really getting hot on campus. So it was quite easy to promote things. And I remember I had this guest list of hundreds of people that signed up, students, obviously, for Freshers' Week. And this club was not one of the popular ones. It wasn't one of the established venues. But I had all my mates or acquaintances, you know, saying that they were coming to this event at the time. And I thought this is going to be a hit. Anyway, it got to like, no one, uh, no uh, kind of 9, 9.30, no one had arrived. And then I kind of went down the road to to check out the main high street in Oxford to look at the other clubs and they were packed, like literally had hundreds of students and I could even see some of my mates queuing up in the other queues. So I was like, they're not coming. Like they're not going to be here tonight. And the, uh, the club owner was, you know, particularly, uh, um, you know, unscrupulous. Let's just say that and leave it at that. But I felt really stressed really quickly. I thought I need to do something to get people to this night because this is my reputation and I need to build on this for the year. And so I came up in this kind of split second moment um, to go and get my car, which was a small Vauxhall Corsa at the time. I wound down all the windows. I turned on my music full blare. I drove down the main strip of the high street, did a 360 degree turn in my car, got out of my car stripped down to my boxers on top of my car and started shouting and screaming at all the students um, to come to my night. So obviously this got a massive reaction. Literally, it was stopping traffic. People were chock-a-block. I'm on the top of this car, like trying to get people's attention. Some bugger stole my keys. So I couldn't literally, (laughs) he ran up to the door and stole my keys. So I then got off the car, tried to get my keys. And then I see this moment where my keys... Um, came out of the sky and um, I was like relieved. So anyway, I got back in the car, got pulled over by the police, obviously. They breathalyzed me. I hadn't been drinking, hadn't been taking drugs. And they said, look, you need to go home. So I kind of ditched the night, um, you know, went AWOL. But anyway, 24 hours later, um, I was sitting in front of a a GP, um, probably a little bit um, delusional, 
um, not clearly unwell, acting odd, I would say. My behavior was odd. And the, the doctor just looked at me and said, look, you, you, you need help. You need to go to a hospital. And I had no concept of what hospital meant when it relates to mental health. Like I was going to a mental health hospital. That's what they meant. And when she said you need to go, what she basically meant, like if you don't go, we're going to force you to go. And that's known, you know, in the language as being sectioned. So I didn't know what sectioning was, but I just knew that this lady was, you know, quite forcibly saying you need to go to the hospital. So I ended up in a mental health hospital in Ascot. Um, which funny enough is the same location as I was born. Um, and I literally was so um, hyperactive because that's the nature of my bipolar is you mentioned earlier, you know, I'm, I am known kind of in our industry to be outgoing, you know, have a stage presence, have confidence. You know, my business is called sales confidence, um, but I have like levels to me. Um, and when I'm hypermanic, these levels go a lot more extreme. And that's what happened at that initial episode. And so being in hospital, I was assessed over a period of um, 10 days. And then eventually I was given the diagnosis, diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And how are you, how are you feeling at that point? Um, for the first few days, if I'm honest, I was, ex- I was, <laughs> I was deluded and ecstatic. And I was like the nature of being um, hyperactive with someone with my disorder, at least how it impacts me and my personality, is that everything is great. It's like living in a, 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 a kind of a blue bubble where everything that you do is fun and interesting. I thought this was fascinating. Like all these people that I was meeting, um, like from all spectrums of um, society, with all so-called problems that I didn't think they had problems because I was just like, look at me, I'm happy and you're happy and we're all together. Now, obviously I'm in a mental health hospital, so something wasn't right. Um, It was only as the days went on and I I began to settle down and I was given medication that I realized that this was serious. Um, The behavior of some of the other clientele or guests or patients, um, which is the appropriate word, you know, was very odd and it started to frighten me. I was, I was becoming conscious and um, more self-aware as I was settling down and I became, um, you know, fearful for the experience that I was having. So I guess I became scared if I'm honest at 20. Um, And fortunately for me, both my parents were in the medical profession, but I think this is really interesting point. My mum's a nurse, so physical health. My dad's a doctor, uh, orthopedic surgeon retired now also physical they really didn't have any insight into mental health as well which was surprising and so you know with some persuasion my dad actually persuaded the doctors to let me leave early now I've always reflected on this many years later I should have stayed in there a lot longer to have a proper recovery um, but I didn't and I do think that impacted um, that initial phase of discovering that I have this disorder and that recovery is that coming to is that coming to terms with and understanding what um potentially medication is needed is is that kind of a norm like almost in a, being in a safe space to to come to terms with with everything well, well for me um like i face some i face some challenges my mum and dad were separated so i had to go and live with my dad for a little bit we lived in a different part of the country and um once you have a high high, the nature is you have to come down. And I then became very low because I basically had to 
um, step away from university, which is what I knew and my world. And um, also I started to read about bipolar. And, you know, back then, which we're talking 15 years ago now, um, there really wasn't a lot online that was helpful. Um, there were stories often about celebrities, you know, that had kind of really tragic stories or really difficult life experiences, um, often associated with drugs. I wasn't a drug user. Um, alcohol wasn't really involved. And it was really hard to um, accept that I had an illness because I was just me and you can't see it as such. You can just see the behaviours and the, the impact it has on people around you. And the other hard thing is I already had harboured early ambitions to being a business person and a business owner. And what was really difficult is that I could not find a single person that was openly bipolar that um, was in business. I just couldn't find those people. So that then became a really questionable um, pursuit because everybody around me was advising me to take my time, lower my ambitions, not strive so much, not work so hard. And like that was really unsettling when I believed that my dream and my right was to become a successful business person one day. And people were saying to me that wasn't a possibility um you know that 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 became very depressing um and then i would fall into kind of a long period of like depressive um and uh, negative thinking it was a spiral really and what were some of the the mechanisms you used to to push through that because i can imagine it would have been um extremely normal to have just lowered your ambitions and um taken a, a lighter route than you have in terms of creating this amazing community and sales confidence but what were some of the I guess the coping mechanisms and um, ways you found your way through that and navigated yourself to to the, the place you have today? Um, if I'm honest the early days was very very difficult because I was just starting in my career so I managed to go back to uni um, got a 2-1, which I was super chuffed with because I had to take a year out. So I actually, um, you know, felt really good about that at the time. And then I wanted to pursue sales and I found myself getting, um, uh, you know, put into a, a sales role. And then, as you know, the nature of sales is a roller coaster. Possibly the worst thing you could do um, as a career choice with someone that has um, you know, up and down uh, personality and, and a mood disorder. And so I was kind of like thrown into the cold face of like high stress that I'd not experienced before. And that did lead to kind of blips of um, kind of episodes where I'd have to adjust my medication. Um, if I'm honest, you know, it was really hard. It was really hard back in those early days. And I felt really alone. I really didn't feel like I had people that I could talk to about it and, and supported. Like, you know, between my friends, like they were always fantastic. Um, but, you know, because of my personality, it was we kind of made fun of it, which was fine. Um, but, you know, at times, like I didn't want to be the guy that had a mental illness. I didn't want to be a guy that's been into a mental health hospital. And now that was part of my story. And I had to learn to adjust and live with that. Um and I ended up meeting someone and having children very early. I had my first son when I was um, 24. And that was a shock to the system. So, you know, I was this young dad. I had the beginnings of a sales career, which I was trying to navigate and figure out. 
Um, and I had an illness that I had to live and manage. Um, and, you know, it's it's been extremely difficult at times. Um, and navigating it over the years, like I've been back in hospital multiple times. And I've tried to, you know, figure out why, why does it happen in the way it happens? Part of me feels like hospital for me is a really safe place. You know, it's it's really a place to calm down and relax. And it sounds odd, but when you're someone that's like always driven and always putting pressure on yourself, you go into a hospital, you've got no responsibilities. You're, you're, you're plucked out of your normal world. So for me, that would take a break from my kids, take a break from work, whatever I was doing. And the other thing is, I've learned to enjoy being hospital. I've made it a fun experience. And this will again sound odd for people listening, but that's the type of person I am. And because I'm hyper, and I shared earlier, you know, that meant I'm kind of overly optimistic. Um, I'm finding more joy in things. I will make the most of these experiences. And I feel it's a bit of a crutch now because when I really get to an extreme state, the immediate like rescue plan is I need to go to a hospital. Um, but they're there to help. So it's, it's been, it's been very difficult. Um, and you know, at the same time, my ambition hasn't really slowed down. So I just kind of wanted it more every time that I was brought back down. And someone said to me the other day who, um, is a, is a very kind of close, uh, confident. He was like, you know, the thing about you, James, you just don't quit. Like, um, and that is a, strong trait of mine i'm also a tryhard. like you know i'm not the highest achiever most successful brightest guy but i do really try hard and that puts extra pressure on um yourself and your pursuits so you know overall it would be mixed i mean here and now and this is why i don't have these conversations much these days because i don't know there's a lot of people speaking about mental health and i kind of I, I like what I'm telling my story in terms of sales confidence and, you know, helping people in that area, but, you know, just reflecting on it in the, in this moment, um, I'm still pretty chuffed with what I have achieved to be fair. You know, if I, if I go back to that 20 year old and say, look, you actually will end up going to create a business. Don't worry about it. Um, and you will develop a strong brand and you'll be able to, you know, earn a living from it. Um, I think, you know, younger James would be like, oh, that's good. I'll, I'll wait for that to happen then rather than putting so much pressure on myself. So I, I have become a lot more content. Um, you know, it's been, it was recently five years since I set up Sales Confidence. Um, and, uh, you know, that was another strong realisation that I've come quite far as a professional, um, but also someone that's had to live with uh, a very difficult diagnosis um, and continue to face troubles with it, you know, every so often. But fortunately, at least in the last couple of years, you know, not not to the extreme. It is. Um, I've got goosebumps after that. It was uh, that is the amount of resilience and um, yeah, just courage to to keep going and to not quit. Like you can feel the you can feel the kind of like motivation in your voice that just the that like proud of just pushing through those dark times and tough times and keeping having to go through that and I know from having met people and gone to sales confidence events you will have changed people's career trajectories and 
people love those events and it's always a, a really cool place to learn and grow and meet cool people in the industry. So yeah, you should be so proud of creating that. Um, one thing that just popped up is there's going to be people listening to this that have a friend, family member, someone going through uh, an experience that you've gone through. How how can they better show up for them and hold space for them? And um, yeah, ha- yeah. It's a good question. I mean, um, you know, I actually feel the the people that have a really um, difficult experience are those ones closest with people suffering with a mental ill health episode or crisis. They don't actually get often the same support. You know, if I think to my experiences, I've had literally hundreds of nurses in hospitals, doctors, psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists support me to try and navigate and then my family have been on the sidelines worried concern you know upset um and uh you know they they you, you kind of have to take it in your stride you have to ride it out you have to expect that this is not going to be resolved quickly if if you are really in some form of crisis um and often for a lot of people it is built up over time and then it comes out um, in some kind of, you know, expression that is then difficult for people to react to. Um, and so you have to work hard and you have to work hard on being extremely patient and extremely understanding and accept like, you know, you have to ask, is this a person I love and care about? Like, if it is, I need to be there for them. And to show up, I've got to listen to what they're saying, what's being helpful for them and what's being unhelpful. But also, it's important to be a guide. You know, I do feel that if someone's not seeking help, they need that assistance. They need to be um, persuaded to take on that route and go and get some support from a professional. You know, often it will start with the GP, but also they need to be told that that GP is not going to solve it either. Like it's just the beginning of a journey that you've now become aware that someone that you care about is suffering. They've become aware that there's something really wrong or not going right or, you know, off the norm, abnormal, as you call it. And so those people really need um, uh, to, to get support to go on a journey. And, you know, one of the really difficult things that people to react to is, you're offered medication and a lot of people don't like it. And nor do I, to be fair, like it's a psychological experience. It, you need to, um, you need to be able to uh, accept that you are now having to heal and recover. And part of your recovery might be medication. It might be therapy. It might be reflecting on your life choices right now. You know, you might have become dependent on alcohol or drugs you might be suppressing it through other ways and you need to really take stock of where you're at right now in this moment. Um, and the people around you need to work with you on that and you need to formulate a plan for how you're going to go on this next phase of a journey, considering that you might be in it right now based on you know what you've just said. Really, really powerful that, really. Um, and is there anything that... For, for that person that is kind of um, witnessing someone going through this and they're, they're scared of saying the wrong thing and they don't know what to say, so they're saying nothing, what what would be just one 
thing that they could they could have said uh, to that friend or that loved one. Well, you know, in that moment, you start to question your own. Um, you question yourself, your own. You start to become aware of your own fragility. You know, because you're obviously very worried, and that could create fear. And so your fear, your, you create fear of opening up or speaking. One, going at your own help, like you now need support. You recognize that you need to support yourself because you are experiencing it, um, you know, at an arm's length. But you've now got your own experiences that you need to reflect on uh, and take stock of and, and go get help. And don't involve that other person. You know, don't tell them that you're getting help necessarily. But go and you, got, you can't help someone else unless you're looking after yourself. Also, you know, where do you get your confidence from to guide that person that is the cause or, you know, what's creating the situation? Like you need to, you need to unlock that within yourself or you need guidance from other people as well to get that feedback and our encouragement to say, look, yeah, it's okay to go and speak up or address what that person's experiencing. Um, you know, you have to find and unlock that inner confidence um, because you will regret it if you don't make some kind of in intervention um, or, you know, at least try. The other thing is, as much as I've said, so I've said a couple of things, look after yourself first. You know, that feels selfish, but you do have to look after yourself to be able to help others. Um, the other thing is, you know, some people are really at the extreme. And, you know, if they've crossed the line, and something tragic happens, you also can't blame yourself for that because that was their choice at the end of the day, however difficult um, that moment was. Um, and, you know, that is a really hard truth um, to come to terms with yourself, right? Because people that are close to someone that, you know, takes their own lives uh, um, and they may have been aware or not of what they've been going through, you feel a lot of guilt, but Overall, you, you shouldn't really hold that guilt for a, a long period of time um, because it happened the way it happened. And, and you know, that was their that was their kind of rite of passage for that individual, unfortunately. Yeah, it's uh, I think that really is an important message not to to take that guilt on yourself, even though it's it's one of those ones where it's uh, it harder. What's the easier, easier said than done. And it's uh, you should not feel guilty about reaching out for help as well, even though it wasn't you that directly went through uh, the problem, um, because otherwise it just causes this knock-on effect of, I think it's um, something like suicide affects 200, it's like affects 100 and something people for every one person that are impacted through the immediate family, friends, those knock-on relationships, their future, potentially even children feeling the effects of, um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it truly has a, a big impact. So um, important that. Uh, a, a slight switch of direction because I, I wanted to um, first and foremost I, I I came across you because um, I'm I've got like an entrepreneurial tendency in me. Um, I was inspired by you setting up your own business, creating this community, and driving that forward. And then I found it incredible that you also spoke about mental health and um, you were able to do that. For for those people that had this idea, they had this. Um, they're sitting in their nine to five thinking, I just want to start my own business. I'm, I'm sick of, uh, I'm sick of working for someone or I just want to create this, um, community or business, but they're scared of doing so or scared of going through it and not being the most successful person they can be. Um, 
yeah, what words of encouragement or what words of um, looking back at your uh, business so far would you give them? Yeah, I would, you know, one piece of advice I always say for people is, um, you know, you have to back yourself. Like the sad reality, oh, not sad, is it sad? I don't know, but like your friends and family, and I mean this in the politest way, really don't care what you end up doing. As long as the cliche is you're happy doing it, right? But who they're not the, they can't define your happiness as an individual. You have to define that for yourself and you have to own that. So if you are deciding in your mind, or the back of your mind or at the front of your mind that you believe, you know, the pursuit of business or business ownership um, is going to be right for you, like you have to make it happen yourself. The other thing is, um, it's so much easier now with free apps, technology, um, you know, social media to start anything on the side and use your evenings, mornings and weekends, um, you know, to really develop your idea and develop your concept. You know, for me, I said earlier on that I always knew that I wanted to be a business owner. I was coming up with ideas literally in waves of continuous um, uh, kind of cycles of like months where I'd like come up with landing pages. I have no tech skills, but like I would try and create a landing page. And um, like I had this idea that I always forget um, my family's birthdays, which is terrible. And I came up with this idea called Gift Alerts, which was a reminder platform that reminded you of when a birthday was coming up and then sent you a link um, to buy and purchase something. And, you know, I, I remember I, I, I tried to validate it on um, uh, like with like some 50 pound Google ads I got, you know, no one signed up to it. Um, and then I realized like it's just, it, this is just a problem for me. And while it's a problem, like there's not a market for uh, that particular idea. And if there is like it's handled by Amazon or whatever. And the point is like, I was willing to try. You've got to be willing to try and fail. I think a lot of people that have had, um, you know, what I would call like things just kind of happen for you. Like you, you kind of did all right at school. You did well at um, uh, uh, uni if you went to uni. You kind of got this job and like you, you, like things are just going right. When you decide to go out your own, you have to face the fact that it actually can go very wrong. But you're protected if you do that, you know, as a side project. But really, no one's going to back you as much as you back yourself. So, you know, that, that's, that's like have a vision for yourself, have your own goals, back yourself, you know, put in the work in your own time to get there. Um, and then you do need to find, you know, what's called your early adopters or your, you, you know, your some believers. Again, where you end up with it, they, that doesn't bother them. But what bothers them is like they want to see you try and give it a go. So you need a group of people, and these are probably not close friends, and they're probably not family, if I'm honest. They might be, but they're, they're just someone that's interested in the problem that you're trying to solve, and they can give you that little bit of encouragement. So for me, you know, there's this one particular person um, who was a, a, a venture capitalist um, on LinkedIn, and he read a LinkedIn post of mine when I was talking about the idea of having a sales community or a meetup. And he literally fired off a message saying, look, James, I've been in sales my whole career. It, what allowed me to build my businesses? I've now become a venture capitalist. 
like the world needs what you're talking about. You should do something about it. And literally, you know, someone out there said to me, you should do it. And then was willing to give me advice and a little bit of support um, to get it running in the first slide. Like I, I had a group of people and look, my business is an events business. And we also have um, kind of a membership subscription service now. So whatever you end up doing, um, like actually an event is the perfect way to start. It doesn't matter if you're a coder, you're a software developer, you know, you're a product led person. If you can get a group of people that care about what you're trying to bring into the world at a dinner, at a breakfast, at an event, it will bring everything to a live. I honestly believe that events um, are the most powerful way to validate a business idea. Because if you can get a bunch of people firstly to turn up and then actually engage with you, share their feedback and give you some thoughts, it, it can it can escalate from it. I, I actually just a side note, I never set out to build an events business. I wanted to build a SaaS business. Like I'm a SaaS guy. But I had no techie skills. I was never able to persuade a techie to come work with me. And so I ended up building an events business and, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's been fairly good to me despite a pandemic. Um, so I would say like, you know, there's a couple of things to consider. Uh, back yourself, find some early adopters, pit in an event, and that will, that will give good early validation that you're onto something. <laughs> I'm pumped listening to that. You're, it's uh, yeah, you're so good at speaking about that. I'm like, I want to leave right now and start the, start the business. <laughs> um, but one thing, um, I don't know if you've experienced this considering the business is called Sales Confidence, but um, one thing that I'm experiencing at the moment, even with this podcast, is is listening back to some of the episodes and comparing myself to uh, podcasters or people that are very far down the road, have millions of followers and thinking, crap, should I even, should I even bother if th these people are so far ahead of me? Um, I don't know if you've experienced it or know how to, to deal with it. Yeah, all the time. All the time, <laughs> like, you know, it's uh, the bane of my life, like it is for most people showing up and seeing that there's a hundred and other people, you know, I, I live, as everyone knows about me, I live on LinkedIn. I, I worked at LinkedIn, so I had an advantage of understanding the mechanisms and, you know, I won't profess to understand the algorithm, but, you know, I've got pretty good at it. And I can tell you, I could list off 50 people that at the same time as me have set up their business and they are now running mega multi-million turnover companies. You know, some of them global, some of them have exited it. And I have to scratch, and I, I, I have to like work quite hard on myself to say, you know, that's not your journey right now. It, and it might never be. Um, so the, the first thing is like, I actually put a post out yesterday about this. Like the only real competition, the only real competition that matters is with yourself and where you were a week ago or a month ago. I mean, before you now have a podcast. I mean, you didn't have a podcast. When did you set this up? You didn't have a podcast before that, right? So you now have a podcast. You are taking steps to put yourself out there in a new world um, that's going to create opportunities for you, even if you don't become... You know, the next Gary V or whoever you you know see in your Instagram feed, like um, you have already taken a step above and beyond thousands of other people that are just living by 
the status quo. So you're, you're always able to take stock in time and reflect on your own personal journey and where you've been. So for me, the fact is, like, I, I have a mental illness. I live with it. I've been in hospitals. I've been told that I can't achieve what I'm setting out to achieve. I ran an events business for a pandemic. You know, there's nothing, there are, there are things worse, but, you know, that, that's pretty terrible. And yet here I still am, um, all those years later, paying for um, my family to enjoy a good lifestyle. Um, and, you know, hopefully there's a long road ahead for more achievement and more progress. But the reality is, like, you always want more. So unless you can kind of experience gratitude for where you've got to in this moment, like, you could you could become a megastar and you're still going to struggle with that if you don't learn to, you know, follow the journey and say, oh, okay, this is where I've got to now. Um, this is the good thing. These are the areas that I want to improve and take to the next level. But for now, I'm okay with this. Yeah, I, it's such a good message. I think that's what I've had to, to tell myself. It's like, I'm doing this to, one, help um, some people who have, I heard the advice, like if you're creating a podcast or a newsletter, create it for a few friends who you think need it. And that's what I'm doing, whether it's like friends or family, I'm creating it for a few people I think need to listen to some of these conversations. And even if it fails, then I'll have done something. I'll at least have done something which has meant something to me and I'll have experienced it. And the feeling I've got from having this conversation has has made it worth it to be honest so um i think yeah i think that's uh thank you for coming on um i'm gonna wrap it up there and that was honestly favorite conversation so far so thank you so much james good i'm glad i've enjoyed it i mean you know i wish you the best um on evolving these conversations because like it, it is you know valuable work that you're doing um and even as someone that, like myself that is open and you know, fairly public in my niche. Um, I don't do enough of uh, this. So, you know, the more people like you that are doing it, um, the more opportunity is there to reach someone that needs that help. And you only need to impact a couple of people to know that you're making a difference. So yeah, keep going. Awesome. I want to set you a challenge. If you've got something in your life that's been sitting on your someday shelf that you've always wanted to do, but you've just been too scared to take the chance, take one step in that direction today. Whether it's doing research into it, whether it's creating a goal, whether it's just journaling about it, take one step in the direction of doing that thing you've always wanted to do. Because what you don't want to do is look back in the next 10 years and think, what if? So take the chance.